Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Well, good morning. Happy day after Christmas. Tell the person next to you, happy day after Christmas. Now look at the person next to you, around you, and say, is that new? Is that new? Has he got some new shoes up in here this morning something? I got some new boots on right here. They look good, don't they? Tell the person next to you, it looks good. Most everybody wearing something new. Christmas is an amazing season, right? But sometimes when Christmas is over, it's kind of an odd spot. It's like the plane's coming in hot, land's hard, Christmas is over. You take your Christmas tree down, decorations are gone. Anybody already take your Christmas tree down? Raise your hand. Confession's good for the soul, yo, Scrooge. Kendra would have had me take ours down, but I was too tired, all right? And you know, it's odd. It lands hard like that. You take baby Jesus, you put him back in a tote for a year. Something's wrong with that. You know, you take baby Jesus, put him in a tote, put him in the attic, right? It's just wrong. And that's what, that's what happens. And, and, and so all this season, all the hype leading up to Christmas, it seems a little anticlimactic when it's over. It just kind of lands hard. All the anticipation, all of the preparation, all of the separa- uh, celebration, conversation, all of the, the, the hype about it it, it, it all comes crashing in. And midnight last night, Christmas is over. And we move on to the next three big events coming very quickly around the corner in our life. And, and we all know what those next three events are. First, we got to write some resolutions that we can quit by the end of January. We got to do that. The second thing we have to do is we have to figure out how we're going to make the minimum payment on our credit card because we spent so much at Christmas. Got that event we got to prepare for because the bill is coming. Thought I'd drop that on you. The bill is coming. All right. And the third thing, we've got to figure out uh, how we can do our taxes and, and lie just a little bit and it not be a sin. You know what I mean? Well, y'all are so righteous. Y'all are KJV people. I mean, y'all old school, can't even have a good time. It's the day after Christmas, and I think it's appropriate that we showed up at church. Those of you that did, I think it's a, I think it's a big deal. And, and I think we're, that we're going to learn something, hopefully today, that will help us. <clears throat> because uh, something hit me in the soul about a week ago about Christmas and Christmas Eve and how we navigate through this thing and how, how we move forward. Quite honestly... I never, I've never seen this before. I think Christmas Day should serve as a launch pad to launch us into the next part of our life and our journey. I think it's bigger than we understand. The fact that we celebrate Jesus on Christmas Day should be a thing that radically moves us on the inside, that changes the way we live our life. You see, Christmas serves to remind us that God is faithful to his word. Christmas serves to remind us that God always does what he says he's going to do, and he will do it on his timeline. Because you see, Jesus is uh, is not on our timeline. Welcome, fellas. Uh, Jesus is not on our time. Did you get some new shoes? It looks good right there. Okay. Jesus is not on our timeline. He's on his timeline. And, And although sometimes he seems a little late, he's always right on time because he's God and he he operates on a different calendar because he's outside the time continuum as we know it. Time was given for us, not for him. He doesn't need a calendar because he knows a billion years from now as fresh as he knows this very second in time. 
And, and so what that does, Christmas serves to remind us he knows what he's doing and he's going to do it with precision every single time. You see, in Genesis 3, God said he was going to send a redeemer. 4,000 4, years before Jesus showed up, 6,000 years ago, God said, hey, I got a plan. And he introduced that plan. And he talked about that plan for the next 4,000 years. It's called prophecy. And so Christmas Eve, if you were here, we talked about the word Eve. Christmas was Christos Misa, which means a celebration of the anointed one. And Eve means the day or period of time before an action or event. And when we're talking about biblically, Eve would be the day or period of time before an action or event of God. And so you can make the argument that when God said in Genesis 3, I'm going to send a redeemer, and then in the gospel of Matthew and Luke, when the redeemer shows up in the form of a baby in a manger, that 4,000-year period could be considered Christmas Eve. Because it is a period of time before the act or event of God. You see, it shouldn't have come as a surprise. God had said, hey, I'm going to send a redeemer. I'm going to send him to Bethlehem. I'm going to send him through a virgin girl. Uh, and he gave all these prophecies. But here's what's crazy. You see, last night at midnight, Christmas was officially over. And we entered a new season of life. A new season in the journey called the human experience, Right? Now, here's what's cool. Everything that God said about Christmas, about the anointed one coming to this earth, came true. And he told about it. But the next event, the next action of God on his calendar is him coming again. And he said eight times more prophecy about his second coming than he did his first. And he came just like he said the first time. I want you to know he will, in fact, come again just like he said he would, eight times more than he said the first time. Now, I'm going to share some more information about those prophecies next week, but I just want to let you know God tells us what he's going to do, whether we listen or not, is up to us. And I want you to know that I believe Christmas should be a launch pad if we listen and we consider the fact that, that we're in a new Eve. You see, the second coming, when, when Jesus came the first time, he, he just gave us a, an introduction of the kingdom. Jesus was God's king wrapped in flesh and showing up on this earth. It was just a, a glimpse, you see, just just a, a kind of a synopsis of the kingdom when he showed up the first time. And he introduced an upside-down world called the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom, when it comes the second time, it's called eschatology, the study of future events. When he comes the second time, we'll talk about it more, but this is what it looks like. We'll talk about it more next week, but this is what it looks like. God's going to say, Jesus, your church is complete your bride is complete. Go get them. Jesus is going to descend from heaven on a cloud, just like he ascended when he left on a cloud. And he's going to put the brakes on and the cloud's going to stop. And he's going to invite the resurrected bodies 
of the saints who have already been with him since their death. Let me unpack that a little bit. When I die, the Bible says, absent from the bodies, present with the Lord. My spirit goes immediately to be with Jesus. My body remains, whether it's cremated, put in a, a, put in a, a, a grave, eaten by sharks, it doesn't matter. My spirit's gone, but my body's still here somewhere. And in that moment, when Jesus returns and stops on the cloud, he's going to invite resurrected bodies out of their graves to be reunited with their redeemed soul. The redeemed body, glorified body, united with their redeemed soul. And then the Bible says those of us that remain, so those that hadn't died yet, but we're believers, we, we've been born again. God has adopted us into his family through Jesus. The Bible says then we will join them in the air. And the joke is, the reason we go later is because they have six feet further to go. <laughs> A little joke right there for you. Boy, y'all are cold. Merry Christmas. Oh. So, I'm going to keep going. This is hard. I'm going to keep going. This is so, so, Jesus is going to take the, the saints, reunite them with a the resurrected body, resurrect, uh, give us redeemed bodies, and evacuate us from this world. We're going to go back to heaven for seven years. And when we're in heaven for seven years, the Bible calls uh, uh, the time here on earth the great tribulation. Now, the first three and a half years, it won't, it'll be bad, but it won't be terrible because it's all a lie. But at the middle, midpoint of that, the Antichrist is going to declare himself God, and it gets real ugly the last three and a half years. And that's what it looks like in the vials, the bowls, and the judgments found in Revelation, in the book of Revelation. But we're not part of that, I don't believe, as a church. Now, there are people who will argue, say, no, I believe the church is going to go through the tribulation. I don't believe it biblically, but I also don't believe it because it's outside, in my opinion, the character of God. Why? Because we're going to see that you, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you are part of the bride of Christ. Jesus is the groom. He's taking us home for what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we're joined together for eternity. I don't get all that, but it's, it's, it's amazing what he's going to do. But here's the reason why I believe he takes us home. If we are his bride and we're going to be married to him, what groom in their right mind decides to give their wife a good beat down before the wedding? I mean, you all, how long have y'all been married right there? Y'all been married three years or something like that? Two years, two years. Did you punch her real good before wedding day? No, because you wouldn't be sitting here because I know her daddy, he'd have shot you right in the face. Okay. And why would Jesus beat up his bride before the wedding day, right? I just don't believe that's the way. Now, you can believe otherwise. That's fine, okay? And I may be wrong. I don't think I am, but, but, but it could be. So that's what the kingdom is. So we're going to go back. And then seven years at the end of the great tribulation, Jesus is going to mount up on a white horse, and he's going to descend back to earth the second time where he will touch ground. And the saints of God, those he has taken away and gone through all the ceremonies of heaven, we're coming with him. And there's going to be a great battle. Well, they call it a great battle. It's not going to be a great battle, I don't think. I think God's going, Jesus is going to say, and it's all over. And we'll celebrate. Yeah, you know, like we had something to do with it. And then he's going to set up a kingdom on this earth, heavenly kingdom on earth, restore the earth to its original condition before the fall of, of man in Genesis. Okay. And we'll rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Now, biblically, that's my eschatological view. That's what I believe about end times. And I, I didn't just make that up. I'm not the only one on the planet that believes that. It's very common. Okay, but that's the position of our church. And so, if that's the kingdom, and it's coming, eight times more prophecies about that kingdom, about Jesus coming the second time, than the prophecies given about Jesus the first time, 
And if Eve means a period of time before an act or uh, uh, action of God, then church, welcome to Kingdom Eve. We're living in Kingdom Eve. When Jesus comes back, that's where we're walking around in. We're in a season, a period of time between the first coming of the anointed one, Christ Jesus, and the second coming of the anointed one, Christ Jesus. And the first time he came as Savior, the second time he comes as ruler, judge, and king. And so that's how we live life. So Christmas, when we look at Christmas yesterday, we say, okay, we celebrated that because it marked a time when God did exactly what he said he's going to do. And it should launch us or propel us into this new kingdom Eve where we live with a, an expectation that God is going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. Now, it, 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 we're going to see six responses to Christmas living in kingdom Eve. And they're not all the same, but we all will land in one of these. And studying it will help us figure out exactly where it is that we land regardless of what we say. And so, and so we get to decide who it is we're going to be in Kingdom Eve. And Christmas should serve as a platform and a launch pad to get us into that well. Because Jesus is building the kingdom right now. The church is the kingdom. And the people who get saved, who are born again, receive Christ for salvation, they become part of the kingdom. Even though it's not complete yet, we're a part of it. We're invited in to participate in it. And so, here we go. The first thing about the kingdom Eve that I want to do is look at the shepherds. You see, sometimes we think the shepherds, we read the Bible story, the Christmas story, and we say, the shepherds are watching in the field at night, and the angel comes and tells them, yeah, 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 yeah. And they go down there, and then the end of the story for the shepherds. But there's more. You see, there's a post-Christmas day revelation about the shepherds and that's what I want you to see today I want you to see after Jesus came now that they're living in the kingdom Eve the period of time before his next event something happens I'll call it kingdom declaration on your worship guide kingdom declaration now if you look up declaration the definition of that is this a formal or explicit statement or announcement a formal or explicit statement or announcement. And I think this is paramount to the church today. Because we live in a postmodern, post drive a stake in the sand, plant our feet on Jesus, and declare to the world who we are and why we are that. We just kind of move around and kind of chameleonize ourselves and become like the world. And at the same time, I'm a Christian. That is so wrong. That is so not the Bible. That is so not what we're invited into. I just finished my thesis or dissertation. Uh, I got my doctorate degree. That's kind of cool, okay? Kendra, Kendra didn't want me to tell you that because it sounds prideful. And I don't want it to sound prideful. I share that because Christmas season is, in fact, the season of miracles. And so when I got it, the professor said, uh, well, Dr. Dew, how does this feel? I said, if you don't mind, don't tell anybody that I'm a doctor. They said, why not? I said, because a lot of the church thinks I work two hours a week on Sunday morning. And if you, they find out that I'm a doctor, my name will be Dr. Dew Little. 
But it's kind of true because I talk to animals, sheep and goats, every Sunday morning. So, booyah, right back at you. Now, you get to decide which one you are, a sheep or a goat. That's between you and Jesus. But here's the point. I wrote my thesis, 165 pages of miracle typing. And it was about the death of the church and the revitalization of the church. I want you to know in that research, about 8,000 churches this year will close in America. There are doors for their final Sunday. And I believe in my heart, the reason is that the church has stopped making a declaration about Jesus. Not just the church corporately, and that's real too, preachers stopped, but individuals who say they're Christians stopped living a life that makes a bold declaration to the world that, you know what, I am a child of God adopted into his forever family through Jesus, the Son of God, and I will live differently than the rest of the world. The shepherds got something significant. You see, in Luke chapter 2, verse 17, it says, when they saw him, they show up. When they saw Jesus, they related what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were astonished at what the shepherds said. You see, they got it. There's something about this baby that makes him not an ordinary baby. Now, what is it about a shepherd that would get this? Why didn't they not tell like the professors this or the priest this or the rabbis this? What is it about a shepherd that got the memo? Well, it's kind of interesting. In Luke chapter two, verse 12, now what I'm gonna share, you can't necessarily get from scripture, you have to get it from uh, rabbinical teachings from tradition and from historians but this is really amazing you see in Luke chapter 12 the reason the shepherds got Jesus and were able to make a declaration was in verse 12 they were told by the angels to come and check Jesus out and this is what they were told this will be a sign for you everybody say for you He's t the angels talking to the shepherds shepherds this is a sign for you. He says, you will find the baby wrapped in strips of cloth or swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Why is this a sign for them? Why is this not a sign for the realtor? Oh, sorry, Blythe. Oh, why is this not a sign for the banker or for the contractor or for the priest? Why is this for the shepherds? You ready? Because the shepherds understand Sheep. <laughs> okay. The shepherds understand lambs. The shepherd's job was not just to protect the sheep from predators, although that was part of his job. The shepherd's job during the birthing season would be to keep his eye on the little lambs. And when a lamb was born and he's out and he's walking around and starting to grow, the shepherd would inspect all of the lambs thoroughly. And in every batch of lambs that was born, there would, be, there would be lambs that rose to the occasion. They were less blemishes, less scars, more perfect than the others. And so the others were fine. They would provide milk. They would provide at some point maybe meat for a table. They would provide wool. But there were special lambs in the mix, perfect lambs, that the shepherd would pinpoint and say, this is special. Now listen to this. The shepherd would take that lamb and sell it to families so they could sacrifice that perfect lamb for atonement of sins. 
between the moment that it was spotted and the moment that it was sacrificed, the shepherd would pick up that lamb and wrap it in strips of cloth to make sure that it did, that it did not get harmed or damaged. And so when the angel said, I want you to go to Bethlehem, you're going to see a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, wrapped in strips of cloth. When they showed up, they saw the Lamb of God wrapped in strips of cloth. It was more than a baby. It was a sign to the shepherds because ain't nobody else would have understood what they were looking at. Now watch this. You say, what's that got? How do we know there's anything to that? Well, if you continue to read the Bible, you find out that John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin, right? Mary and Elizabeth are cousins, and, and Elizabeth, she's old, but she gets pregnant with John the Baptist, and, 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 and Mary gets pregnant with Jesus, and Mary goes to meet with, with Elizabeth, and the Bible says that John the Baptist like turned to flip in the womb, like, hey, something's going on. Who just showed up, all right? So spend the clock forward about 30 years, John the Baptist is baptizing people for repentance in the Jordan River. And Jesus is starting his earthly ministry. He's walked alongside John the Baptist. But on this day, Jesus shows up to the river to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist introduces him to the world. And this is what he said. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see... That baby laying in a manger, the shepherds got it. It was wrapped in swaddling clothes. The angels told them when they saw that baby, they knew this is the completed Lamb of God. This is the Lamb that's going to make it to where we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. He's going to sacrifice himself. You see, it's Christmas is over. He's in, they're living in the kingdom, Eve. They're living in the next season, the next chapter of God's timeline and the work that, that he's doing. You're not convinced. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. It had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. That's Jesus in heaven. And then we read in Revelation 5, 9 through 10, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then we read in Revelation 19, 7 and 9, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen, these guys came and they saw and they were moved. And I want you to know, when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, the true, the resurrected, the living Jesus, it'll rattle your cage. It'll change the day after you have a real encounter with Jesus it will move your heart and your mouth to begin to make declarations. In church, I want to challenge you. Start declaring who you are. It will, it will change your faith. And it might just spur the faith of someone else. You see, sometimes we say, well, I wish old Jimmy would get saved. Well, if you would act like you saved, maybe Jimmy would be interested in getting saved. 
That's a declaration. When you have an encounter with Jesus, you boldly state what it is you've experienced, what you've seen in Jesus. Number two, kingdom Eve changes things. Number two, kingdom celebration. We're still talking about the shepherds. They declared it. Now they're going to get excited and they're going to celebrate. It says, oh, let me, say, let me define celebration for you. It, it's the action of making one's pleasure at an important event or occasion by engaging in enjoyable, typically social activity. That's a celebration. And so the shepherds now leave Christmas. They're post-Christmas. They're in the kingdom Eve season. And listen what happens in Luke chapter 2, verse 20. It says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You see, the shepherds were Jewish shepherds. They knew about the prophecies of the Old Testament. They knew about the Old Testament. They understood God was doing something all the time. But they knew that God was going to do something significant at some point in time. And that day had come. And they had met what God was doing next. And because of it, it says that, that the shepherds were glorifying and praising God. I mean, it changed them on the inside. Now, here's the, here's the thing. Just like we just left Christmas yesterday and we're in this new place. Christmas should have changed us on the inside. You see, the shepherds left Jesus, the anointed Christ, in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, but they knew they couldn't stay there and just look at baby Jesus forever. It says they went back. They had to go back into the routine of their life. And I want you to know sometimes the routine of our life is not pleasant or fun. Sometimes the routine of our life has thorns and thistles in it. And it's just uncomfortable. We don't have, seem to have the answers. But I want you to know, because, just because the routine on the outside is what it is, on the inside, we should be changed. We should have a celebration because we've had an encounter with Jesus. You see, the shepherds left, and it's like they had a new pep in their step, Right? They, they knew that no matter what happens tomorrow, the circumstances of life, I'm going to hold my head up because Jesus has come. God did what he said he was going to do for 4,000 years. And he's going to do something else, and so we're going to trust him in that. I want you to know, no matter what your life brings you today, the day after Christmas, or tomorrow, or next week, or next month, or in 2022, whatever that unknown is that kind of just jumps on top of us, listen. If you've had a real encounter with a resurrected, true and living Jesus Christ, the outside may be routine and it may hurt, but the inside, there's room for a celebration because you've met Jesus. It reminds me of a story. There's a little girl and she has, she was kind of energetic and strong willed and she's jumping on the couch and her daddy says, hey baby, stop jumping on the couch. And she said, okay, about five seconds goes by. She starts jumping on the couch again. He says, honey, I told you, stop jumping on the couch. She said, okay. And then she started jumping on the couch. He said, baby, if I come over there, I'm going to stop you from jumping on that couch. Don't make me come over there. Stop jumping on the couch. She said, okay. And she started jumping on the couch. Daddy got over there, grabbed her, gave her a big 
put her in a big hug, sat down on the couch, and he said, I told you I would stop you from jumping on the couch. She looked at him. She said, I'm still jumping on the inside. That's what a celebration looks like when we've met the true and living Jesus, and we know it. No matter what it feels like that's got us bound on the outside, we can still be jumping on the inside. So we look at the shepherds, and we see that they had a declaration and they had a celebration. Now we're going to look over at Matthew, and we're going to look at the wise guys, I mean the wise men. And we're going to see in Matthew chapter 2 a kingdom exploration. This is really cool stuff. An, an, an exploration by definition means this. The action of traveling in or through an unfamiliar area in order to learn about it. Probably didn't get that just yet. You're going to get it in a minute. It's the action of traveling in or through an unfamiliar area in order to learn about it. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says, after Jesus was born, right? Post-Christian, a post-Christmas, Jesus is here. They're in kingdom Eve. Their response, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the time of King Herod, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So the wise men show up at the wrong place on the wrong day. I thought they were following a star. They were. But it seems that that star had lost its brilliance or they had lost their focus or the star was removed because they landed in Jerusalem. Now they weren't Jews. The wise men weren't Jews. They were probably Persian scholars, professors, astronomers, uh, brilliant, wealthy, respected men. And they followed the star, but somehow they missed the target. And they landed in the wrong place on the wrong day. They landed in Jerusalem, but Scripture said Jesus would be in Bethlehem. They didn't get that. They weren't Jews. And they stopped following the star. Either lost focus or the star was removed. So now they're, they're inquiring, where is the king of the Jews? Because we've come to find him. All right? Now, there's three, king, uh, three wise men, right? We know there's three wise men. How do we know there's three wise men? Because there's three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, okay? We, that's all we know. We don't know there was just three. We know there were three because there's three gifts. There may have been a dozen. They're going to a baby shower. These wise men are going to a baby shower. And so there might have been somebody show up with a box of diapers, okay? There might have been somebody show up with a high chair, maybe a gift card to the Bethlehem Target, you know, I mean, they're bringing gifts. There could have been more, but we know there were three. Now, here's what's funny. When we do the nativity scene, a lot of times, we had two or three of them sitting at our house. The kids play with them all the time before we put Jesus back in the tote. And, uh, and, and in that, you got baby Jesus, Mary, Joseph, or as Juliana says, Jophus. And then, and then you got uh, the shepherds, and then you got the wise men hanging out there. It's probably not right. The wise men probably didn't show up at, at, at his birth because Scripture kind of points in another direction. And it looks like maybe they showed up later. Now, here's the point of that. They 
missed the mark and landed in Jerusalem. And they could have pulled the plug on their exploration and went in another direction. But they didn't because they had not found resolution to the mystery in their soul. I want you to know today, some of you are lost like the wise men. You're showing up on the wrong day at the wrong time. You have not found that missing piece. Don't stop exploring. You keep looking for the realness of Jesus. And if you keep looking, you'll find him. You see, the world's full of people that maybe had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Maybe through somebody um, who knows Jesus. Maybe a broadcast on a radio or something on television or a family member. And they considered the idea of Jesus. Maybe even said a prayer to Jesus. But they're still lost. They're still drifting. The exploration is not over yet, but they've stopped searching. I want you to know, just like the wise men, just because you show up at the wrong place on the wrong time and there's still a void inside of you, keep looking. Jesus, if you keep looking, Jesus will show up on the other side of your exploration. Now watch this. We now move from an exploration to kingdom exaltation. You see, they didn't stop in the darkness. They didn't stop at the wrong place. They didn't stop in the unknowns. They kept moving forward. Matthew chapter 2 verse 9 says, After listening to the king, they left, and once the star, and once again the star, once again the star, here it is again, they saw when it rose, led them until it stopped above the place where the child was. The child It says in verse 10, when they saw the star, they shouted joyfully. And as they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened their treasure boxes and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. After being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back another route to their own country. You see, the star begins to shine again. They begin to explore again. And Jesus is probably between one and two years old. Why? Because now they don't show up at the stable or the manger. They show up at the house. And now Jesus is not referred to as a baby. He's referred to as a child. And you'll remember King Herod, when he realized the wise men had left, he said, I've got to annihilate the threat upon my kingdom So I want all of the baby boys, two years old and younger, to be murdered. So there's something that looks like the wise men show up when Jesus is somewhere just under maybe two years old. But they had not stopped looking. Their exploration continued until the place where they found Jesus. And when they found him, they exalted him. I I just think it's interesting that it says these these prestigious, wealthy, intelligent Uh, respected men when they had an encounter with Jesus they didn't care what anybody thought they didn't care about who they were they didn't care about what people thought of them they bowed to a baby or to a little boy they worshipped him men that is what a real encounter with Jesus looks like 
You see, we have this superficial idea that Christianity is just like a prayer and a statement and put my name on a list. No. Christianity is an, a real awareness that God has come into your presence and radically changed your life to the place that you are humbled. No longer does it matter what you do or who you are, what you possess or how smart you are or, or all the things that you love on this earth. All of a sudden, Jesus just moved to the throne of it all. And we find ourselves bowing before this Jesus, God in the flesh. Now, the good news is for some and the bad news is for others that we're all going to do that sometime. One day all of us are going to bow down and worship him. So we might as well practice. If I said, everybody, let's just bow and worship Jesus right now, most of us would be really uncomfortable. <laughs> really uncomfortable. I would be really uncomfortable because I have terrible knees. But some of us spiritually and emotionally, we'd be really uncomfortable. So it's something like this, okay? See, this is like weird. For a guy, you feel vulnerable. You know, like someone chop your head off or shoot you or, you know, something. Something bad's going to happen, okay? Because we feel exposed. Listen, when we get before Jesus, we are exposed. We are naked before God because he knows everything. And the proper response is that. And one day, everybody does that. Philippians chapter 2 verse 10 uh, verse 2 uh, chapter 2 verse 10 and 11 says at that time of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth lost saints still alive and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father we are all going to do that at some point in our life. And then it says this, they brought him gifts. Okay, man, this is God. This is, this is, babe, this is little boy God. And we're gonna worship him and we brought gifts, okay? And, and, and put yourself in their shoes, you know. Hey, bro, what'd you bring? I got gold, man. I got this priceless commodity pointing to the fact that he's royalty, that he's nobility. Because gold is the, is the standard, right? And so I brought gold. And so he delivers his gift of gold. And then they say, well, hey, bro, what'd you bring? Well, I brought frankincense, man. Frankincense? I'm a wise man. What is frankincense? Frankincense is, is a, a spice where they scrape trees down and pull out the resin, extract the resin from aromatic trees and put it in capsules. And when you take these resin capsules and you ignite them, it puts off this beautiful aroma. And I'm bringing that to him because uh, this, is, this spice is not used like glade. You plug it in your receptacle. This is very expensive stuff. And, and it's used often in the temple. And the priests use it. And I, I'm bringing it to him because it's very expensive, a priceless commodity almost. And, and it's used in worship of a deity. And I believe he's God. And I believe he's our ultimate priest. And I brought frankincense. And then they look over at the third guy and they say, what would you bring? He goes, uh, Myrrh? Myrrh. What is myrrh? Well, it's kind of like frankincense, but 
This one puts off a beautiful aroma, but it's primarily used as a burial spice to, to hide the odor of a decaying body. And I'm going to bring it because I believe Jesus is the one who's going to die to forgive the sins of mankind. It's part of who he is. It's Jesus dying to save the object of his affection, humanity. So I'm bringing myrrh. So they brought their gifts. They gave them to Jesus. They worshiped him. And their life was changed because now they're walking in kingdom Eve. And they know Jesus opened the door to the final chapter. So I'm preparing this message. And one of my favorite authors is a guy named C.S. Lewis. Wrote some amazing stuff. You've probably watched his movies. He was an atheist. An outspoken atheist. But he explored and he met Jesus. And it rocked his world. This is what he wrote. Because we're talking about responses to Jesus. To launch us into living in kingdom Eve. C.S. Lewis says, I wonder if people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in our world quite realize what it will be like when he does. When that happens, it's the end of the world. When the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. God is going to invade all right, but what is the good in saying you are on his side when you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream at that time. And something else, something that never entered your head to conceive comes crashing in, so beautiful to some and so terrible to others that none of us will have a choice left. For this time, it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. There is no use saying you choose to lie down when it has become impossible for you to stand up. That will be the time, excuse me, that will not be the time for choosing It will be the time when we discover what we have really chosen, whether we realize it or not. Kingdom Eve is important. And it's important that you know that Jesus is coming back. And it's important, just like he said he was coming the first time, eight to one, he said he's coming the second time. He's coming. And it may have taken him 4,000 years from Genesis 3 until he came. But you better believe there's no guarantee it'll take him 4,000 years for the second time. In fact, I believe when it says in 2 Peter that God, is, uh, that God is outside of time and a day to God is like 1,000 years and 1,000 years is like a day, I believe you can align that with the, with the creation account. 
that God created in six days and on the seventh day he rested? You could make the argument that the first 6,000 years is God doing his thing, building his church. And the seventh years, a thousand years of his rule and reign upon this earth, which means we're kind of in the, on the threshold of that final day or a thousand years. Now, I'm not saying that's factual. I'm saying you could make that argument. The bottom line is we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know what yesterday held. The anointed one came to this earth to save us. And an encounter with that Jesus ought to propel us into kingdom Eve, whether it's tomorrow or a thousand years from now. No matter what happens in our life, no matter what holds us back, we can still be jumping on the inside. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. It's kind of incredible when you think about it. I never saw it this way before, and it, it moved me. I hope it stirred your heart. The lowly shepherds, they got it. They got Jesus, and they declared it, and they celebrated it. And the wise men, they got it. They explored it, and when they found him, they exalted him. And in this moment, the real question is, what about you? Have you found Jesus? Have you searched him out and received him into your life? Are you living in the kingdom Eve, knowing with certainty that if the next major event or action of God his return is today that you're ready. You can know that with certainty. There's people in our world who often give themselves to a religion, give themselves to a church, give themselves to a membership of an organization without ever giving themselves to Jesus. I just want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. And if on this day you feel that missing piece inside of you. You feel like the star has gone out. Maybe you've landed at the wrong place at the wrong time. Listen, don't stop there. Go before God and say, God, I'm looking. Shine your light for me. Help me find the real Jesus in my life that will change me, radically recreate me on the inside. Make me a new creature so I can walk in kingdom Eve with excitement about what you're going to do next because you're going to do it, and I'm included. And for the rest of us, maybe we've already made that declaration that Jesus is the Lord of our life. Let's live our lives like it really changed us on the inside so the dark world will see there's something different about those who have given their lives to Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that the confusion that I might have spoken will find a clear spot in the hearts and in the minds of those who listen. God, I especially pray for those who maybe are still searching. Maybe they're like the wise men, lost and distant. They just haven't found it. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them 
in a real and personal way and that they will receive that amazing gift and walk forward in Kingdom Eve with strength and power and excitement. God, for the rest of us, help us live different because churches are closing because we've stopped being excited about the greatness of Jesus in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to sing a song, and this altar is open, and and we've got some pads down here on the floor if you'd like to come and pray. Steps on the left and the right if you'd like to come and pray and, and talk to God. Sometimes it's important that we take steps, physical steps, in our declaration before our church friends, before God, and before the enemy. That this marks a new day. I'm driving a stake in the sand. I'm going to be tethered to the, to the Lord Jesus for the, all of eternity and the rest of my life. Let's stand and sing. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.